the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. Coming up, we talk with Professor Doug Seals about his work on the central role of an aging vascular system as a risk factor for the cardiovascular disease. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. We've talked a lot about the microbiome on this show. Here's another tidbit on our intestinal partners. Triclosan is a common ingredient in thousands of consumer products where it is used as an antimicrobial, preventing bacterial and fungal growth. Common applications for triclosan, let's just call it TCS for short, include soaps, shampoos, detergent toothpaste, mouthwash, and cleaning supplies. It's also added to a variety of consumer products, including kitchen utensils, toys, bedding, socks, and even trash bags. TCS exposure is virtually impossible to avoid in the U.S., but we don't know much about how it might affect us. A study published last week in the journal Science exposed mice to low doses of TCS. The researchers from an international group of universities reported that the mice suffered intestinal inflammation. In other mice that had colitis, which is an inflammation of the lower intestine, TCS worsened their symptoms. And in another group of animals that had colon cancer caused by recurring episodes of colitis, the TCS made their cancer worse. How does TCS do this? The results are tantalizing. First, exposing mice to low-dose TCS changes the species composition of their microbiomes. In mice that have been raised in sterile environments so that they lack a microbiome, TCS doesn't cause the problems seen in the normal mice. So it seems that something the normal microbiome either does or doesn't do causes some or all of the adverse effects seen in the TCS-treated mice. And second, in normal mice, TCS activates a certain protein which initiates production of inflammatory compounds. Mice that carry a genetic mutation giving them an inactive form of this protein don't suffer the adverse effects from TCS. These findings suggest that this widely used antimicrobial could cause health problems in humans. Colon cancer is already the fourth most common cancer in the U.S., Rising rates of obesity will further increase its prevalence. Seems like the effects of TCS on human health and cancer risk should be evaluated. Fisk Planetarium on the CU Boulder campus has a number of great shows this summer. Tomorrow, that's Wednesday, July 25th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Habitat Earth will take you below the ocean surface to explore the dynamic relationships found in deep ocean ecosystems. You'll travel beneath the forest floor to discover how Earth's tallest trees rely on tiny fungi to survive. Soar to new heights to witness the intricate intersection between human and ecological networks. Habitat Earth features stunning visualizations of both biological and human-built networks and how they intersect. The show is narrated by Francis McDormand. And the suggested age range to attend is between 9 and 90 years old. Visit Fisk website for the details.
A new analysis of four decades of satellite data shows how humans are altering the seasons. As many of us have noticed, the accumulation of greenhouse gases from burning fossil fuels leads to increased summer temperatures. The northern hemisphere is also experiencing larger annual temperature swings. The study, which was published last week in the journal Science, documents these changes in the lower atmosphere. These results extend previous studies that have documented how global warming is altering seasons on the ground. As we have seen too much in the past decade, fire seasons are longer, winter snowpack melts earlier, and even animal migration and coloring are changing. The researchers used computer models to simulate the global climate over thousands of years, both with and without greenhouse gas emissions. Then they could identify fingerprints of human influence on atmospheric conditions. The researchers then compared those patterns with satellite temperature data collected since 1979. They found that natural variations in Earth's climate could not account for all of the observed changes in seasonal climate cycles. Some seasonal climate trends cannot be explained without including the warming from greenhouse gases. The biggest change was in the northern hemisphere, where the difference between summer and winter temperatures has increased by around 0.4 degrees centigrade. That's almost one degree Fahrenheit, mostly due to the fact that summer temperatures are rising more quickly. A major reason for this analysis was to counter arguments from so-called climate skeptics. Satellite temperature records have long been a source of both scientific intrigue and controversy, in part because they once registered less warming than temperature measurements collected at ground-based weather stations around the world. But this discrepancy has been resolved as calibrations for the satellite data have improved. The chances of natural factors causing the observed temperature changes over the course of the satellite record are roughly five in a million. You're more likely to buy a winning lotto ticket than to dispute this change. This week, I'm playing the first in a two-part series I taped recently with Doug Seals, a professor in the Department of Integrative Physiology at CU here in Boulder. Dr. Seals studies what happens to our blood vessels as we age. He'll talk about what happens and why the damage is a big deal for our cardiac health and other age-related disorders.
Welcome to the show, Doug Seals. I'm speaking with Professor Doug Seals from the University of Colorado in the Department of Integrative Physiology, who's been doing some really fascinating research on arteries and aging. So you have some really cool ideas, Doug, about what to do to help us age better. But before we get into that, can you start off by talking about what arterial dysfunction is and what exactly happens to those arteries as we age? Yeah, I guess the overall context uh, that's uh, important to start with is that aging is the main risk factor for uh, increasing cardiovascular disease risk. So as we get older, our risk of all types of cardiovascular diseases essentially increases. And the question is why that, why that occurs. Uh, it, it becomes especially compelling when you consider the fact that uh, the number of late middle age and older adults uh, are increasing and will continue to increase in the foreseeable future. So you actually have more uh, people in society, uh, in, in countries like the United States, other developed countries, and even in developing countries that are coming out uh, that will be here in, the, in this age range. And so you'll have a lot more people that are at high risk of cardiovascular disease based on age. So we try to figure out exactly what is it about aging that increases our risk of cardiovascular disease, and most importantly, what can we do about it? That's really the, the focus of our research. And it turns out that um, aging increases your risk of cardiovascular disease in at least three major ways, and probably some other ways too. But one, there are direct effects of aging on the heart, and that's not something that we study, uh, but we follow that work a bit and, and could talk a little bit about that. But uh, the two other ways that aging drives up our risk of, of getting cardiovascular disease is by increasing our, our blood pressure, and, and in particular, the systolic blood pressure, which is the top number in the blood pressure reading when you go to your doctor's office. And something that we study very um, closely is the changes that occur to your arteries as you age. And this turns out to be a major reason why our risk of clinical cardiovascular disease increases with age, those changes in our arteries that occur. So within those those changes to our arteries, there are two main effects uh, that we follow that we think are particularly important. One is that uh, some of our arteries stiffen with advancing age, and the two areas of our arterial system that stiffen is the aorta, which is the biggest artery, the one that comes right out of the heart, bringing blood from the heart uh, out into the rest of the arterial system. And, uh, and the carotid arteries, which bring blood flow to the, to the head, to the brain. And um, these are called large elastic arteries. And as the name implies, they're supposed to be elastic. Uh, as we age, those arteries stiffen. And that's a really big problem. Uh, that's one of the reasons why our systolic blood pressure goes up with advancing age, because these arteries are stiffening. And then it turns out that when these arteries stiffen, they also increase something called arterial pulsatility. And uh, that's a fancy term, but really the, the bottom line is that the 
the pulsatility of our blood pressure and the blood flow to our brain and to other organs like our kidneys and our heart, that pulsatility increases and it gets transmitted all the way through uh, the arteries to these these very uh, important organs, these vital organs, and can damage those organs. So for example, uh, this arterial stiffening that occurs with aging is thought to be a primary contributor to decreases in cognitive function with advancing age because we think that increased pulsatility that these stiff arteries produce damages uh, small blood vessels in the brain and limits brain blood flow. So this is an example how a change in your arterial system can affect a a remote organ, so to speak, in this case the brain. Same thing we believe occurs in the kidneys and and other organs. So it's kind of like a shock wave. I just want to clarify. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a shock wave, and and as your artery, as these um, large elastic arteries, the aorta and the carotid arteries, as they stiffen, those shock waves become greater, and uh, there's just no way you can dissipate them when they get large enough uh, until they reach the organ, and then they really have sort of uh, damaging effects on the small blood vessels that are providing those organs with blood and da- and therefore then damage the tissue of those organs. And so it's a really, really big problem, the stiffening that occurs in, in those segments of your arterial system with age. And when you say they stiffen, what exactly is going on in the artery itself? Is there collagen being laid down? Is there degradation of the muscle? Yeah. So... Um, we, we think that there are both changes to the structure of the artery, that is, you know, the, the materials that are in the walls of the arteries, and also um, what's called the vascular smooth muscle, which is a type of muscle that's in the wall of the artery that allows the artery either to uh, expand its internal diameter, that is, dilate, or to to reduce its internal diameter or constrict. And this allows an artery to either increase blood flow through it or decrease blood flow through it, depending upon the physiological conditions and, and the demand for blood flow. It's a, it's a basic property of arteries, their ability to dilate or open up or constrict or close down. And so um, one of the things that we believe that happens to the walls of the arteries, uh, we call these structural changes because they occur in the composition of the wall of the artery, is that collagen, um, which is a major structural protein that confers stiffness to whatever tissue it's in, uh, more collagen gets laid down in those large elastic arteries with aging. Um, so this is like a, a, a mild form of a process called fibrosis, which is just increased collagen deposition. So uh, that's one part of it. So you're adding a structural protein, uh, a composite, you're changing the composition of these large arteries to something that um, contains more of a stiff material. Uh, the other thing that happens in, uh, in parallel with increases in collagen is that the um, other structural protein called elastin, which, as the name implies, confers elasticity, uh, distensibility, flexibility to the artery, Um, those uh, proteins become degraded with aging. 
So one thought is that with aging um, and the pulsatility that occurs in your arteries, you know, with every beat of the heart, that those elastin protein fibers just get worn out with age. And they start to fragment, and then they become degraded, uh, and they're essentially replaced by the stiffer collagen proteins or the collagen proteins that confer stiffness. So that's a major change to the... Um, the composition of the arterial wall with aging that would confer increased stiffness. There are also some changes that occur in uh, in chemical crosslinks um, between these structural proteins, and these chemical crosslinks can also uh, increase in abundance and result in increased stiffness. So those are three changes that occur in the walls of these arteries with advancing age that probably contribute to this net increase in arterial stiffness. And then the final set of effects are probably um, in, probably involve that vascular smooth muscle, what we call tone. So these, these vascular smooth muscle cells and areas that control the dilation and the constriction of the arteries, which are necessary, as I mentioned, for normal physiological function, uh, they tend to become uh, in more of a constricted state, in a, in a contractile state. And so they don't dilate and relax as much uh, as they are relaxed when we are younger adults. And this also confers stiffening uh, to these arteries. So we think these are the key changes uh, that occur with advancing age that cause that particular change. Okay, so then I want to get, I want to make sure and have enough time to get to sure. some of the really interesting interventions that you've been doing in your lab. And it seems like they're primarily targeted, I'm going to short circuit and not talk about the mechanism right away, but they're primarily targeted at that ability of the muscle to dilate. So things like MitoQ and then um, the compounds that an- increase what's called NAD. Uh, levels in the cell. Yeah. So um, the, the other the, the other change that occurs to arteries uh, that are affected um, by these interventions, just to mention very quickly before we start talking about the interventions, is that the lining of the blood vessels also change. There's a a lining to all of our arteries called the endothelial layer, or or endothelial function, it's called, that also allow our arteries to dilate uh, or constrict and that influence the vascular smooth muscle tone that we talked about earlier. So these interventions uh, that we're going to talk about really affect the stiffness of the artery and also this endothelial layer of arteries that produce chemicals that allow the arteries to dilate, open up, or constrict, and and these are very very important for artery health and our risk of cardiovascular disease. So those are really the two types of arterial changes that we've begun to try to uh, establish interventions to improve uh, to promote arterial health. The interventions that we've studied uh, over the last you know 25 years or so here at CU have spanned uh, from, you know, very uh, well understood, very familiar lifestyle uh, type interventions such as aerobic exercise and 
and different types of dietary interventions all the way to uh, pharmacological interventions. And um, our approach started with actually healthy lifestyle interventions. So early on in the um, late 90s and early 2000s, we performed a number of studies to show, for example, that aerobic exercise uh, improves arterial function and health in middle-aged and older adults, and that people that have exercised their whole life, uh, for example, or for many years during their adult life, uh, have much uh, uh, better arterial function in older age than than their sedentary peers. So we really were able to establish uh, a very robust and consistent effect of aerobic exercise. And that that particular intervention or lifestyle behavior probably has the most experimental evidence supporting its effects and promoting healthy arterial aging. Uh, we've also studied various dietary interventions, and these include um, energy intake or caloric restriction, and we've performed these studies uh, in mice, but we've also performed weight loss studies in middle-aged and older adults, and um, restricting energy uh, intake and uh, especially associated with weight loss uh, type studies has a very um, strong effect in, in improving arterial function. And uh, we've seen this particularly in middle-aged and older adults who are overweight or obese at the beginning of the study. And we've seen a very powerful effect of, of even lifelong caloric restriction, which we can study in mice throughout their whole lifetime. So there's no question that restricting calories, I'll say 20% or so below um, what you would normally do, 30% perhaps below what you would normally uh, take in, uh, somehow has a very powerful effect in promoting arterial health. The problem is, of course, uh, that we, um, we, we have trouble doing that, at least at the public health level. We've also studied various types of dietary interventions, and one that we've studied extensively is dietary sodium restriction. So it's well known that the amount of sodium intake at the population level is um, is related to blood pressure. So the higher the sodium intake in general, the higher the blood pressure. And some individuals are more sensitive to dietary sodium intake than others. They're called sodium sensitive because their blood pressure goes up when they take in more sodium. And then there are people that are more resistant uh, to sodium intake. But in general, the population, uh, there is a correlation between sodium intake and blood pressure. So uh, we've also performed trials um, for example, where we brought middle-aged and older adults in, had them undergo a reduction in their dietary sodium intake. We've taught them how to shop and cook a lower-sodium diet, studied them for about four weeks on the low-sodium diet versus their normal-sodium diet. And that also has a very um, impressive effect in promoting and improving arterial health. So those are all sort of the lifestyle intervention-based research uh, examples, at least, of what we've done. And then um, what, we, what we were able to study based on that was what are some uh, potential pharmacological approaches uh, to um, improving arterial health based upon what we know about those healthy lifestyle interventions. So we are essentially using 
the research that we performed in establishing the benefits of healthy lifestyle practices to uh, create clues um, to identify potential what we call biological mechanisms by which these healthy lifestyle practices were associated with you know, preserved arterial health with advancing age, and then try to identify what we call therapeutic targets based upon how those healthy lifestyle practices promoted arterial health and good function. So that uh, has now led to uh, another area of research within our lab in which we've uh, tried to identify uh, nutraceutical compounds or natural compounds that um, are based usually on either some kind of of a molecule that the body produces or um, that are found in f- certain foods, so dietary supplements or what's called functional foods, and how uh, supplementing the diet with those types of compounds might produce at least part of the benefits of these healthy lifestyle behaviors that we were just talking about. So that's kind of the model or the paradigm, uh, the approach that we've taken. And so what we've uh, studied in the last 10 or 12 years are a variety of these compounds that um, we believe could mimic at least part of the positive effects of these healthy lifestyles. We get into that. That was Professor Doug Seals discussing some of his studies on the aging vascular system and how it contributes to diseases like atherosclerosis. Next week, we'll delve more deeply into some of the solutions. In the meantime, if you want more information, I'll put the link to his lab site on our website. Vascular disease risk. So as we get older, our risk of all... That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Beth Bennett, and I produced and engineered this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Katie Oslin. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.